everyone, and welcome to another episode of Analytical Fanboys. I am one of your hosts, Simeon the Vacuuminator Scott, and I am joined, as always, by the prehistoric Chris Boingo Ryder Gaston. How are you doing, sir? Um, serious, and you have to pay me ten dollars to figure out the mystery. Excellent, 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 excellent. <laughs> and uh, as you may have guessed from that little thing and the title and the release image and the thumbnail and really everything, we're talking about Gravity Falls this week, the first season of the show, which is probably the first time something Chris has suggested has been something I've already seen, but I'm still very willing to talk about. But Chris, since it was your suggestion, why don't you tell us a little bit about Gravity Falls? Well, the story of Gravity Falls is two kids uh, during their summer vacation go visit their Grunkle Stan, and nothing weird happens at all. Yeah, it's it's a very plain Jane show. Kind of a kind of a nice little little uh, family sitcom, if you will. Slice of life. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, it is kind of slice of life. It's just their lives happen to be very bizarre at times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They live in a, a in a tourist trap, like Trotsky store. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's it's a good time. It's it's one of the few. Um, shows from the recent like animation animation on TV renaissance we've had that I did actually watch and keep up with until halfway through season two I got distracted by things and I still haven't finished the show all the way but um, I, I do like it quite a bit um, it's it's very fun it's very out there the characters are really good the the art style isn't exactly to my liking but it works very well for this show. And I feel it has a really nice sense of humor, really, really good wit to it. And um, uh, the the continuing story really does pull you in after a certain point. And good God, if it doesn't have one of the best American intros in the last 10 years. Oh, yeah. I think that was I think the intro was done by the sister of Neil Cesarega. That's cool. Yeah. I think Neil also had a pitch, but they went with his sister. Or I may be misremembering things. Hmm. Never quote me. Noted. <laughs> uh, oh. I can easily be a victim of uh, Pat from the formerly known as the Super Best Friends Stan Crazy Talk. Oh, geez. Yeah, no, uh, I've told you about the Super Best Friends, right? Yeah, um, that is well, a they- topic for another time though. Yeah, um, but the quick overview of the joke is one of the guys is named Pat and he has this really interesting habit of being dead certain about things that are completely wrong so much so that people have said no that's his superpower. Oh okay, I thought you were about to explain the whole channel. I was like we're 10 minutes in. No, that's the joke. That's the whole joke I was making a j- and okay. the superpower is called crazy talk. All right. So if you are so often a joke is if you're a fan of this thing and you say something with very certainty and it's wrong, you have been infected by crazy talk. Well, speaking of crazy talk, let's let's start bouncing around talking about some of our favorite characters. Uh, I fucking love Grunkle Stan. He's 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 a wonderful, wonderful shyster dickhead. He is the best. He he is one of the. I, I'm gonna say this. He is probably 
one of the top two uncles in Disney canon. I was going to say, he's he's kind of this, he could go on to be, depending on how this show lives on in actual children's memories, he could be this generation's Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, but see, the difference between him, like Scrooge, and this guy in Grunkle Stan, is Grunkle Stan is a miser because he has to be, because he has nothing. He lives in a hodunk town running a shack. <laughs> yeah. Running like a shack he doesn't even care about. His entire job is literally just gluing things to other things and going, look at this fucking cryptid I found, and then dumbasses pay him $10. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. It's it's such a it's such a thing that it's hard to point to any other versions of it in fiction. But it's such a very distinct thing that you go like there has to be like a million of them and there's not. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a very specific character character trope that you go like, no, that's been around for forever. Wait a second, has it? It has, but there's only like five of them. Yeah. Like, it's such a, like, a perfect distillation of that kind of character, voiced by the creator of the show. Oh, yeah, like, a lot of characters in the show are voiced by him. He's a, he's this incredibly versatile guy. Um, I think think that's a marker of a show that has a well-loved, that is well-loved by its creator, is when they do a good number of the voices, like, Despite all the shit we can say about Family Guy, and I hate the show, I don't think Seth MacFarlane hates the show. I think he loves the show and puts so much passion into it because he voices so many of the characters. I've watched maybe two episodes of Family Guy ten years ago. I literally remember one scene where they were parroting the Chronicles of Narnia and Peter Griffith tried to beat up Mr. Thomas. That's but, all that's all I know of that show except the the stuff people regularly say online about Meg being mistreated. Yeah. But I'm just I'm just, I'm just saying like Alex does so much for the show that it feels very much like a passion. It feels very much like a love. Yeah, th- this is definitely like this guy's dream project that he was just so happy to get to make that he poured everything into it and it, it really shows. Like I said, Animation is really slick. There's great design and planning in all of it. Um, the little hints they plant throughout episodes for future plot lines and stuff are just so there, well done. There's a back-masked message in every single episode and a code at the end of the credits for you to decipher. I know. I, I remember one of my favorite things about this show back when it was airing was that was when I was still on Tumblr. So I, I would watch the episode the night it aired, and then I would be on Tumblr most of that evening just refreshing to watch what people would come up with to decode those messages, and it, it was so much fun. And they're like actual genuine classic codes. They're not like some bullshit of like, you changed the letter five plays. No, it's like genuine codes. Mm-hmm. It, it's And kudos to Disney. They just let him do it. Like they, 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 I don't think there was ever a bit of corporate oversight on this entire show. That seems to be a, a thing with a lot of the current like Disney XD animated series that aren't based on existing Disney properties. Is like once you get past the pitching process, you're off to the races. You can do pretty much anything. 
Yeah. The only the only time is the only time they kind of step in is like, hey, we need the we need to boost the ratings a little bit. It's just floundering just a tiny bit. Anything we can do, and in that and that's probably more like, oh yeah, no, like we have this thing planned. It's like, oh okay, cool, we're fine then. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think they ever go like, hey, can you punch up the scripts? It's more of like, hey, uh, the ratings are down a little bit. Are we gonna? Are you gonna do something cool, or should we put you on hiatus to build hype for the next little bit of batch of episodes? And it feels very much more of like they're trying to give it the best environment they can give. Yeah. Sad it doesn't work for every show like Motor City. My friend is such a fan of that show, and he's I so. Always, dis- I always meant to check that show out and just never got around to it. Yeah. But back to Gravity Falls, uh, Dipper. Yeah, di- the, like Dipper and Mabel together, probably one of the most realistically portrayed set of siblings at that age I've ever seen. Not just in animation, but in television altogether. I can definitely see that. Um, like, I I don't want to go too much into personal details, but it does feel very true to the way my sister and I were at that age. Um, we're not twins, but she's like very close to me in age. So there was a period when we were like, uh, I want to say when I was 10 to 13, when we were sharing a room and we had bunk beds. And a lot of our interaction at that time reminds me of the way and, Dipper and Mabel are. Dipper? Except without the, the very extreme personalities. Yeah, no. My sister's like seven years younger than me, so we never had that. <laughs> that uh, it, it was very much no. I'm the older sibling with weird responsibilities in comparison to you. Mm. Um, but now that she's an adult, we're more similar. Not in terms of taste and anything, but just more in like humor. Oh well, that's good. Yeah. Um, she she's one of those people who likes to watch real people shows with actors in them. Ooh, what a normie! Ooh. And they don't turn into superheroes and in bug costumes like Jesus. Oh my! They don't even run into alleyways and take off their glasses to become superheroes. <laughs> no, and here's the best part: she watches Total Divas and Bellas. So basically, she watches wrestling. Just doesn't watch wrestling. <laughs> she just watches the worst wrestling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, at least we have that in common. Does she at least watch Ms. and Mrs.? No. Boo. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, Dipper on his own, though, is a pretty great main protagonist. I, I like a, a lot of... Um, the sort of, like, very eagerness to go out and do stuff, but also this this sort of, like, trepidation at the idea of actually going out and doing it. Like, that is very true to a kid of that age. Oh, yeah. But it's also, like, that was a trend for characters at the time with, like, Hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon. Mm. Uh, also being it of, like, I want an adventure, but not that much adventure. Oh, Okay. I'm not saying it was like it's just like a weird thing you notice. See, I'm ta- I'm talking about this like yeah, I like Gravity Falls a lot. I don't know anything about the context surrounding it because it's like one of two of the recent 
animation renaissance shows I actually know. There's this and Star vs. the Force of the Evil, and the rest of it is just like, I know people like those. I'll get around to them eventually. And then you have the Cartoon Network Fair, like Adventure Time, Regular Show. Yeah, um, that, that that stuff is a big part of that. Steven Universe, all, all those. I haven't... Uh, Gumball. Gumball! It's weird. For a long while, Gumball wasn't really recognized as part of this whole, like, re- renaissance of Western animation. But yeah. now, everybody's going like, fuck, Gumball, man. Look at all the animation. It's Gumball. You know? Yeah. But, um, no, this is probably one... Gravity Falls is probably one of the best answers to Japan has some of the best animation. What does America got? This shit is so fucking smooth. Oh, yeah, like... Like, you hear about horror stories of the Japanese animation industry and how how it's, like, it's abusive on the level of, hey, topical, uh, it's abusive on the level of the games industry. What the fuck did these Disney animators have to go for to make this show? Probably five individual studios because disney has the money and the capability and the and the the reach to be able to go to a korean south south korean studio and go like hey animate these five episodes for us Mm. so instead of having to uh, animate all the episodes in-house they get a lot of like work done elsewhere i'd imagine that's how a lot of it's worked all right um, um, I know Avatar does that. Uh, Legend of Korra did that, so. That makes sense, given, given how varied the animation in that show could be. Yeah. Strangely enough, the worst parts of that show, the worst animated parts, were Japanese. Hmm. But oh. I definitely think Gravity Falls should be listed as, like, one of the best serialized animated shows of all time yeah it is it is so good how they string together the story and all these little elements that just seem like um dumb throwaway gags because it's this goofy show that takes place in a town in the middle of nowhere so anything can happen stuff comes back stuff gets built on really well oh yeah freaking Gideon, when he's introduced, you would not expect him to last more than an episode, and he ends up becoming the big bad of this season. Oh yeah, with the Gideon bot. Yeah. Um, even then, he comes back in the second season too. Yeah. But like, (sighs) there's so much Um, interesting things, and especially like labeling the the book that he carries around with three and that immediately makes you go like what what the fuck was one and two yeah and then two shows up and it's like oh shit we still don't have one where's one where's one and then ooh, cliffhanger of the season yeah su- such a good moment um, like that is an mcu ass fucking cliff- cliffhanger yeah that 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 is literally you know what that is? That's the moment from the end the end credits of the first four movie where the frickin' professor guy is brought by S.H.I.E.L.D. to look at the Tesseract. Yep. You immediately know something's about to go down. 
Mm-hmm. And if you've seen season two, shit goes down. I think I dropped off like two or three episodes before Weird Mageddon started, so I, I know were... shit goes down. I just haven't I just haven't seen the shit go down. Oh yeah. Uh it's always a lovely thing when a kid show goes into Lovecraftian uh terror. Well they even do that sometimes here. Like there's that episode where Mabel is tripping balls on fun dip and she has the dream about <laughs> about the flying <coughs> dolphin that has arms come out of its mouth and shoot rainbows. And turns into a helicopter. That's that is amazing. Like there's uh, so and- many like just random but amazing one-off moments in this show, like the freaking gif of the um, gnome barfing a rainbow. Oh yeah. Also, like just as uh, like uh, Dipper versus Manliness when he just goes into the fucking woods and runs into a bunch of minotaurs and they go like Manliness. Yes, those those were such good. Ah, uh, oh, I love that stuff. I smell emotional issues. <laughs> so good. Um, um, the but, time traveling subplot that's that's brought up in the first season. Uh huh. And then it's like, because you're like, this guy looks familiar. I've seen this character model somewhere. And then the entire end credits is just showing where he's been for, in every episode from the from the start of the season. And you're like, holy shit. Um, and and they realize that oh wait a second, this is a show that definitely needs a Halloween special. Wait a second, it all takes place during the summer. Fuck it, this town celebrates Halloween during the summer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, that is the most... That is probably the laziest, most brilliant and clever bit of writing I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I also... I think my favorite episode of the entire show is Fight Fighters. Oh, yes. Just that... That pixel animation alone should earn this show an Emmy. Uh-huh. Freaking and this is as still as I can stay. <laughs> and it's such like it's such simple game humor, but anybody can get it. And then they brought that kind of animation back in the second season. You know, to bring to bring in something else I know we both love talking about, that episode actually reminds me a lot of X-Aid, where it's not like it kind of is with Fight Fighters, but it's not exactly a specific video game thing. It's more like, here is an episode about the, the spirit, the very base spirit of video games and how those work. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very, it's very, it's very reminiscent of Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. He is um, very much Ryu. Yeah, but at the same time, it's making jokes about the way all the games of that era worked, which I really like. Um, and again, comparing it to Exade, they, they never, like, except for that one movie, they never brought in a specific game. It was always like, here is a writer who is a nod to um, Mario. Here is a writer who is a nod to Zelda. So on Final and so Fantasy, forth. yeah. Um, but honestly, we can admit, Mr. Pac-Man is the best game character they could have brought in. Yeah, fucking Dr. Pac-Man, greatest writer villain of all time. Just because it was it was the perfect culmination of the fact that, wait a second, the current writer is video game based, and the previous writer is ghost based? Wait a second, we're really good friends with Bandai Namco. 
Can we borrow Pac-Man? Will like... we also take Galaxian and Frogger? Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, it's perfect. And uh quick thing for X-Aid. They use... Here's the thing. In the flashbacks, they use the most current form of Tekken. That's great. So it's supposed to be like five years in the past, which is which at the time the uh, the game of Tekken would have been completely different. They were using the modern Tekken, and yet the console that Emu is given in the first episode by that doctor is a Wonder Swan, which was literally given to him because it's a prop they still had from Gow Ranger. That, but also you know who made the Wonder Swan, right? That was Bandai Namco, right? It was Bandai. Yeah. That's why they had it. I, I remember that because it's why they had it for Gal Ranger. And then that was just sitting in a warehouse somewhere and they were looking for video game themed stuff to use for the show. Yeah. But like, back to Gravity Falls. Uh, so much good shit. You want to talk about Billy Cypher? Bill Cypher. Uh, Lovecraftian extraordinaire. I I I love that character and just the way he comes in and immediately takes over the show. He's kind of like a more um, sinister version of Loki, uh, and I think that really works. Especially like that last moment when he leaves and he's like, "It's all a lie. Don't believe anything. Bye." Yeah, especially be- like, especially with what happens later on in the next season. Yeah, uh, I remember there's an episode where he takes over Dipper's body, right? Yep, he does that, and, like, I think that's Sock Opera. Yeah, Sock Opera. Because Dipper Dipper has a soul, and he possesses the Dipper Sock Puppet. (laughs) And there's a beautiful moment where it's just a Sock sock Puppet of Dipper with Dipper's soul in it, and he just goes like, <laughs> That's great. It's just so good. This show is just so fucking, like, there are some shows where it's like, moment to moment. Moments are really good, and you remember those. But and there are some shows it, where the whole is really good, and you don't remember specific moments, but you remember that whole general thing was good. This has both. I would say this show is like there's two or three moments per episode, whereas most shows have either one moment per episode or one moment every couple episodes. Yeah. This definitely, like, this tries really hard, and that's and that's just good. Like, I have to finish it before I could say this, but I think this is a very strong contender for a masterpiece-level show. Oh, I can definitely say that. Like, it is... Like, like, there are. Honestly, go ahead. I'm going to say something controversial. Honestly, it is up there in terms of animated sagas like Cowboy Bebop. Oh, damn. That's. I, yeah. I, I, I say like, it's up there in that echelon, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't say, oh, it's not as good because it's a traditionally Western animated Disney esque style. It's very. It, because it's very much a cartoony cartoonist style yeah there's this there's this weird thing on the internet this kind of subculture of like hating disney just because it's disney but it's like if the product is still good why not say it's good yeah like 
like it has taken years for Avatar to just get that general respect amongst the snobby anime community to just be like, yeah, it's good. Gravity Falls is never going to get that respect, but it is it is so good, it is so solid that it should be in contention for some of the best animated shows. Yeah, like, there's maybe like there's maybe eight shows that I give a 10 out of 10 to on the whole. This show, from what I have seen, is one of them. And it's just like, because everything, every joke they make is with love. Like, they will make a joke about Street Fighter, but it's out of love. It's not out of, like, get a load of those guys liking Street Fighter. It's it's friends joking around about their own childhood memories as opposed to people joking around about somebody else's childhood memories and how dumb they think they are. Oh, especially with like things like uh, Mabel's love of early two thousand style boy bands. Yes, the episode—they're aggressively dancing at us. What are we gonna do? <laughs> they don't know how to fucking drink out of a cup. The, the, that was the last episode I watched one night before I went to work. So at work, in my head, the whole night I was just talking in boy band speak, and it was hilarious. Ah, uh, but like. Because here's the thing, if they wanted to make fun of the youth today, they'd make fun of One Direction, J- Justin Bieber, that whole idly culture. No, they but, went to early 2000s, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees, and said, no, this is funny. Yes. And, like, really, all kids-oriented group bands are hilarious when you think about them. But, like, 90s boy bands were a certain hierarchy of hilariousness oh yes and the lower on the hierarchy you get the weirder and more ridiculous and hilarious it is and i say this as somebody who loves listening to certain and in sync songs unironically like i know that i know it's hilarious goofy garbage but that's why i love it come on man backstreet's back all right but i i am the guy who at midnight Every every May 1st watches It's Gonna Be May. Like, I, I guarantee you there is nobody in America that if you don't put... the If you put on everybody, no one's not gonna sing along. Yeah, because that was a huge party song back then. Everybody's just gonna go like, everybody, rock your body right. Like, everybody's just going to. Get a group of metalheads, they're going to do it. Get a group of rapheads, they're going to do it. You know, I also... Because we've been talking a lot about the jokiness and the general structure of the show. I want to say, like, there is really good character work and art consistency in this, too. Like, I think one of the most impressive things about this show is the episode where... Um, they expose Robbie for the piece of shit he is, and then immediately they're like, "All right, Wendy, let's go bowling. Let's go have let's go have a good night anyway, because fuck him." And she's like, "No, I just broke up with my boyfriend. I I need to be alone right now. I need to process this." And like, that's not something you get in a lot of kids shows with situations like that. That's not that's not something you get in any kind of shows with situations like that because they tend to play those things off as just like, "Yeah, fuck him. We're gonna go have a good time." Any- no, that shit still hurts. You still need 
you still need a moment. And later on, she's still not around. Like, in the next episode that's the penultimate episode of the season, she's still not around entirely because she's still dealing with that shit, and I love that. Oh, yeah. And totally realistic reaction to a kid crush. Mm-hmm. It is, it is probably the best... The best way to tell a kid, like, to show kids, hey, you're going to feel this way. It's not going to work out. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I also, and then there's the there's the relationship stuff with Mabel, where she's got a new boyfriend, like, every two episodes, and they keep bringing up how ridiculous that is, and it's just like, well, she's at that age. That's just yeah. how that's going to be. But they're never, they never, like, chastise her for, like, God. Like, they never slut shame her. Essentially, yeah. there is very much. It's much more of like, didn't you? Didn't you like him last week? It is very much more making a joke of Mabel's distracted personality than the fact that she is going after so many different guys. It's like that moment in Scott Pilgrim versus the World where Scott asks Ramona, "Like, wait, wasn't your hair red last issue?" And she's like, "Shit, I don't know, maybe, but it's purple today." And then there's a little note: this this book is in black and white. <laughs> That's what, like it doesn't uh, matter, but we're making the joke. But the best part about that joke is when they finally reprinted it in color. The caption says, "This joke was funnier in black and white." Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Oh god, that's that's what fucking Gravity Falls reminds me of art wise. It is very close to Scott Pill. It's a little more mushy, a little more potatoy, but it, it is very close. Like that, and that's a th- like. That's a weird thing with American art styles because, because you, you can say, all I have to do is say mid nineties Japanese anime, and you immediately have a picture. Mm-hmm. I say mid to mid twenty tens American cartoon. You go like, uh, which one? Yeah, because, and I think that partially like makes it harder to take anything in American animation more seriously. Because, well, because in, in America, a lot of people start off as just plain Jane artists, not, not, not the shit on people who just draw as their career, but people start off as just drawing pictures and you start off copying your favorite style. But when, when you're learning to draw, you're very encouraged to sort of develop your own style and your own, way of doing things, whatever works best and looks best for you. And then those people get into the animation industry and it allows for all kinds of different stuff. Whereas in Japan, there's very clearly this outline of, no, this is how you make a manga that looks good and it's going to sell good. And then we're adapting this manga. So we have to make the show look as close to this manga as possible. I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of... Here's the thing. I read and watch uh, a ton of manga and anime. There is a ton of variety and, and variation. It's just... It all kind of stems from the same tree. Yeah, because they all stem from the same base three guys. Uh, Tezuka, Ishinomori, Gonagai. Yeah. The god, the king, and the joker of manga. Do you hear the guy is still working? He's writing, a fu- he's writing a fucking Mazinger and Transformers crossover that's going to come out any day now. Okay, A, fucking love that shit. 
pump it into my veins, but B, because he actually realizes how to pace himself as an artist and not burn himself out like any other manga artist dying at 50. Yeah, one of the craziest things in the world to me is uh, Asamu Tezuka, I think it was. His last words were, please, I beg of you, let me work. I mean, I gotta give props to the guy. Yeah. But, like, Shotaro Yushinomori has the record for most pinned comic book pages by a single author at, like, 160,000, I think it was. That's interesting, because I think all I ever hear people talk about with him is Common Rider, and, like, the manga Common Riders. And I'm like, well, what else? Uh, there's Cyborg 009. Yeah, what else? Cyborg uh, 009, though, is, is fucking the fire, bro. Oh, I'm sure it's really good. I'm just like, that. You people only ever talk about those two things, and he's supposed to have been incredibly pro- prolific. What else is there? Uh, he did The Legend of Zelda. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he did one of The Legend of Zelda adaptations. Um, basically, any Shotaro Ishinomori tokusatsu that was made, he did a manga of. So, Akimizer, Detective K, um, uh, Inazuman, Zubat. Like, any of those, he, he did a manga. Nice. So. It's and just I, easier I might to... seek those out, because I think reading old manga would be a lot easier for me than watching old toku. <laughs> like, there's a few old toku I feel like I have to watch eventually, like Black and Stronger. But there's a lot of old toku that, now that I'm no longer a straight-up tokusatsu guy, I'm like, yeah, I can live with just having seen a couple clips of this. For some reason, for some reason, I am just diving into old anime and old Japanese shit more and more than new stuff because I just go like, I just, I just, I just want something done, complete, beginning to end, and I don't have to worry about watching it every goddamn week. Yeah, that's kind of my thing with comics is like, um, fucking. I, I just want to be able to read a run front to back and get the whole picture. And also, there's so much of that old shit that I haven't checked out that people always talk about, and I feel like an idiot for not having checked it out. So why not just go do that, and then whatever current stuff I like, I can just peek in on it every couple months. Yeah. But quick, let's let's go back to Gravity Falls, because we can talk about that shit in a bit. Yeah. Um... What's another topic you want to bring up? Because I, oh, I the litany of just amazing side characters. Yes. Oh my god. Like Fucking... Mabel's friends. Yeah. Oh my god. Can- Candy is hilarious and freaking. What's the Asian girl's name Bre- again? Uh, one of them's Brenda. One of them's Candy. Oh no, Can- Candy's the Asian girl. Brenda's the big. Brenda is hilarious, and Candy is just like. Some of the best deadpan comedy I've ever seen in either adult or children's, and I love her character model. I feel I feel like it's one of the best ones in the show. And I'm pretty sure she also voices, um, Bimo. Well, that's cool. Best known as the voice of Bimo and Lady Rainicorn in Adventure Time. Yeah. Neat. Um, she's Korean. The cops. The, co- <laughs> the cops are the best running gag in the show. 
because heterosexual life partners. Dude, I thought they were straight up gay. I think that that's part of the joke. I think it's meant to be like they're gay, but they're also like they're skirting around the censors that oh yeah, they're gay. They're probably but... like I imagine like canonically we we have this in the show bible so the censors can't come after us. They're two guys who are really close friends and fuck around all day at their jobs, but then they go home to their wives. Yeah. Um but but their whole it's it, it really strikes me as a velveteen dream type thing of like yeah we're we're joking about the fact that they're gay but we're not joking about the fact that they're gay yeah oh man also one of the best characters Zeus I wouldn't even call Zeus a side character he is a freaking principal cast member and he is. He is, he is but his function, his function within the principal cast is to be the side character. That's true. Um, like, his designation in the main cast is to show up and be like, Hey, guys. I'm Seuss. I'm Seuss. Hey, guys. Hey, Grunkle Stan, I didn't have a father figure growing up. Will you be that? He reminds me a whole lot of, like, babysitters I had when I was a kid. Like, whenever I had a dude babysitter, it was always a guy like Zeus. And those are kind of the best guys to watch little kids. Oh, yeah, because, they, because they're chill, they're relaxed, and, like, they know how to re- interact with a kid and not, like, tr- treat them like shit. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and they're also super helpful in, in potentially dangerous ways. Like, the moment in the first episode where Dipper's running off to take out the Mecha Elf. Or uh, Mecha Gnome, that's that's the correct term. And uh, he's like, uh, here, you may need these. And he just hands him like a tortured pitchfork. And dude, something we mentioned before we started recording for the podcast. Boop. Boom. Yeah, freaking the episode with all the wax figures. and Wax Larry King. I love that they put in Coolio just so they could do the What's Up Holmes joke. Fucking great. Uh, I bet he liked the... I bet he appreciated the check. Yeah. And freaking Just Sherlock Holmes, played by John Oliver. Perfect casting. Just going on and on about, like, I'm the greatest detective in the world. You kids can't do shit to me. Wrestlers deserve health care. Ah. <laughs> uh. I'm Sherlock Bleeding Holmes! Do you know how big my magnifying glass is? It's fucking enormous! He doesn't say fucking because it's a kid's show, but, like, you know he wanted I wonder how much, like, I bet Dollars to Donuts any animated show has just, like, a thousand tapes of the uh, of the, the voice actors going fucking... Shit, I can't say that. Oh, All right, let's I, know, go. Oh, yeah. I know that's a thing, because... Have you seen recently somebody just found a whole bunch of tapes from um, recording sessions for Sunbow shows? And so they've been slowly putting out, like, deleted or alternate scenes from Transformers G1 on YouTube. <laughs> no. Yeah, that shit, that shit is so cool to listen to. Oh, man. I want to hear Optimus Prime say fuck. I have not listened to all of them, but that may be in there somewhere. No, I want to hear Bumblebee say fuck. Yes! 
Optimus Prime! Fuck! Uh, I mean, he's already in the infamous shit scene. From the people who brought you, oh shit, what are we gonna do now, comes Optimus Prime! Oh fuck, he's dead! <laughs> fuck, what'd you do, Hot Rod? <laughs> oh, cartoon. Fucking oh. shit, man! This is war, man! <laughs> Bumblebee just starts having a private pile freak out. <laughs> Game over, man! Game over! Oh. Bobby, calm down! I'm not gonna calm down! This is just my voice for every Transformer. Bumblebee! Hot Rod! RC! <laughs> uh, if we ever get an audience big enough, I hope somebody makes an animation of that scene. I've got you! You've got me! Who's got you? I was getting ready to break out my terrible star screaming impression, but then I decided to save myself the embarrassment. Yeah, that's just bad comedy. Uh... Alright, well, I think we've kind of run the gambit now, at least for the first season, so is there anything else you want to say about Gravity Falls? Um, It is like a stone rolling down a hill. It starts off kind of slow, and it, you can see all the things it's picking up. It, 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 it is picking up. And it's picking up speed really, really quick. But by the second season, it just goes... Shoom! Yeah, it comes off as... A, it Like, the first three or four episodes are kind of just like... It's very quaint, very fun, really, really gag-oriented show. And then it slowly balloons into... There's some real shit going on here. Oh my god, this is fucking hilarious. Oh my god, these characters are amazing. Oh and my god, there's hidden messages! Oh my god, it's just spoops! Yeah, it's... Mr. McGillicuddy! What, uh, the, the minor dude. Is it McGillicuddy, or is that just a wrestler name? Yeah, I forgot about him. Mc Old Man McGucket, that's his name. McGucket. McGillicuddy was Curtis Axel's first name. Alright. <laughs> what the fuck? B-team, oh, B-team, rah, rah, rah. Fucking... Best tag team champions in years. Hey, hey, hey. The New Day exists. That's true. I was thinking more... I was thinking specifically Raw, but... Oh, yeah, no. Best in Raw in years, but, like... Also, 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 you gotta remember NXT tag team champions. Oh. You gotta remember the War Raiders. Sad they had to get released by WWE. Yeah. Someone else took their gimmick. It's weird. It's 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 a weird time. It's a weird time. But Chris, why don't we uh, we get into some more potentially weird times and you, and we talk about a little bit of what we've been up to this last week or this last two weeks because you got sick and then we we had to skip our recording week. But it's fine because we record these a good bit in advance. <coughs> I still have a little bit of a cough. Not a ton. Just a tiny bit. Fantastic. Why don't you tell us what you've been listening to this week? Ah, uh, listening to? Um, still a shit ton of Vaporwave. Uh, one specific song I've been fucking listening to. Hold on. Let me get the exact fucking name of it. It's by this one Italian-Australian dude. Okay. Named Danny something. 
Hold on. Hold on. Children. Your best friend's parents are leaving. Uh, bu -bu -bu -bu. Danny Bennett, Konichiwa. Okay. The best way to describe it is it's like a music video straight from the 80s where this Danny DeVito-looking motherfucker keeps appearing into the scene, just like cloning himself. And by the end of it, there's like 20 of them. Excellent. And it's like, and it's like sexy 80s music. If uh, I just sent the link to, to Vax so he can listen to a clip of it if he wants to real quick. I'll, I'll listen to a couple seconds of this. It's fucking great. Oh, fuck yeah. I love this groove. Yeah, it, 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 it is like he is taking the 80s aesthetic so seriously. He is not doing it for a joke. He is doing it because he loves the sound. Oh my god, this is this is fantastic. I want to find an instrumental version of this because this would be a great backing track for videos. But I've been listening to him on a repeat. Um, a bu like a bunch of meme music. Like um, Super Smash Brothers Melee crossed over with Come On and Slam and Welcome to the Jam. Excellent. Uh been picking up some ska been picking up some just just my general just my general vibe my general my general skis my general aesthetic hmm. um a couple covers like um a fucking power metal cover of uh deja vu and gas the eurobeat classics nice um, but yeah, that's kind of that's been kind of my music. It's been bouncing back and forth with stuff I've already listened to, and a uh, bunch of interesting, weird one-off bits. Well, I um, have been listening to a song on repeat as well, but I'm not going to talk about it because it's tied into a show I watch. So we'll, we'll uh. get into that in a minute. Um, the other thing, new thing I've listened to is. Uh, um, the Rocky Four soundtrack, which I I went and looked into because it's used incredibly in a recent All Elite Wrestling video. That's <laughs> um, that's basically just nothing but uh SoCal uncensored training for their big match at Double or Nothing. Um, but. I, I just really like the way some of those songs worked, and then I looked in the description because whenever you use a copywritten song in a description in a video now, YouTube links to the official upload of it um, in the info, and I saw that some of them were written by Vince DiCola, the guy who made the Transformers the movie score, and I was like, "Excuse me," so I clicked on those, and I was like, "Oh." He scored this is the this is the like big movie he's known for scoring. This is this is the non-nerd movie he's known for scoring. And it's the same kind of shit. Holy nice. crap, I have more Transformers the movie score! God and I, and I listened to that all week. It's it's really good synth keyboardy bullshit, and I love it. Nice. Um, 
Also because uh, Tyler Breeze finally did something while I was watching wrestling on NXT this week. Uh, I've been listening to his theme song for the last couple days. It's, it's, a, it's a good wrestling theme. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, Chris, what have you been watching? So, as I have told Vac before the show started, I have decided I'm going to live by the playlist. I'm going to die by the playlist. I have set up, I have started using the Watch Later playlist on YouTube, uh, and basically I've been using it and only using it. (laughs) Basically, you've been adhering to God's plan. Yeah. What I do is I put, whenever I see a video I want to watch, I put it into my Watch Later playlist, and and when I watch YouTube, I just watch the playlist on random, and whenever I watch a video, I delete it from the playlist. And just let it happen. Let life happen. I don't have to worry about trying to find another video for 30 minutes. I already have like a list of 200 that I can just get on to the next bit. So I also set it up so I have clips of anime in there every once in a while. And when I get to a certain anime clip, I just go watch an episode of anime. And it just keeps things fresh. It keeps things on my keeps me on my toes. And it just feels hella refreshing to watch it like this instead of having to go like all right what am i gonna watch now uh okay this looks good and it's not it's not because if i just watch a video that's halfway decent on random i'm just gonna go like okay i can watch this because i know another video is coming up in 10 minutes and i don't have to worry about trying to find something else yeah it's it it is truly the superior way to consume media and uh I do very much a similar thing, um, except I've not been watching a lot of YouTube lately just because I realized for the last three years, 90% of what I have watched has been YouTube. So, like, maybe I should try and actually make some progress on that giant list of shows and movies I have that I want to watch. So, a lot of what I've been watching in the last couple weeks has been... uh, through the uh, the Netflix and the DC universe and the downloads and all that, but uh, um, but uh, I've also been watching a bunch of '90s anime. Yeah, I was gonna say, go ahead and tell us about some of that. Uh, well, first things first, I it's I've been watching a Sunrise production called Future GPX Cyber Formula. It's a racing yes. anime. Um, basically, think. Super 90s aesthetic version of Speed Racer. Excellent. With a robot car. Like a car that can talk. Okay, I was going to say, is it a piloted mecha, or are we talking, like, hotshot here? Like, I'm talking, like, Knight Rider. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, BTX, which is a story about a dude and his blood-sucking robot Pegasus. You know, th- everybody's got one of those. You get you get one of those for your tenth birthday. It's so fucking. It's like because the best way to put it is this: the, I watched the first episode, and it starts in like the most media res, media res, <laughs> and like it explains everything technically, but like this dude showed up. This dude's at this robot expo. Okay, this like child prodigy. He's grown up. He's this robotics expert. And everybody's going like, oh man, you're so fucking, you're, dude, your dick is so 
big for robotics. He's like, yeah, dudes, I, I, I know. I'm good at robot shit. And they're like, yo, isn't your brother supposed to be coming? Yeah, I haven't seen him in, like, years. It's going to be so great. I haven't seen him in forever. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And they're like, all right, cool. Um, you need to go do this robot shit. And then this one woman in a fucking swimsuit. I'm not kidding. It's like, it's like one of like you know those Japanese bunny suit style bunny suits. Yeah, she's in like one of those, and she's like, "Hey, you need to get to this place right now." And he's like, going like, "Hey, I'm not scheduled to be there yet." And she like reveals, "Ha! I'm really a robot for this machine empire, and I'm gonna kill you unless you do what I want." Oh no, she was sent by King Mondo. Okay, so all that happens, and then this one dude, real-ass motherfucking dude, in a sleeveless t-shirt, in a denim vest, in a red headband. A.K.A. the only acceptable outfit. The most, like, if you were in America, it's the most 80s costume you can ever wear. If you're in Japan, it's the most 90s costume you can wear. Because that... that that's how Japan works. They're just 10 years behind us all the time. They're simultaneously 10 years behind and 10 years ahead. It's weird. Oh, it's fucking oh, early Heisei common Rider hair. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Um, so he comes in and just like straight up punches the, the robot and she disintegrates. And he's like, hi, I'm your younger brother that you haven't seen in forever. And I got this weird glove that lets me disintegrate metal. And the older brother goes like, have you been like training? And it's like, what? you're not going to ask about the fucking love, bro. <laughs> so he, so the older brother goes to the lecture that he was supposed to go to, but the younger brother's not allowed in because his name's not on the list. Okay, whatever. Fuck. So he's running around this goddamn giant auditorium trying to find a, play, a way to get in. And the older brother's giving a lecture, and then he goes like, hey, by the way, I've invented a way for robots to think like humans. And everybody's going like, oh, shit, this is a great invention. This can change the future of humankind. And then you see these what these couple people in the most anime-ass costumes go like, shit, we can't let anybody in this room live to know about this shit. Kill them all. And the other guy's like, on it and then this giant robot bug that no one's noticed yet starts spraying gas into the room killing everybody and then i I have to stop you right how how has this not been on anime abandoned yet i have no idea i think it's mainly i think it's mainly due to the fact that it does not have a dub (laughs) (laughs) he has avoided it that fucking weak shit okay and by the way this is Still the first episode. This is still like the first ten minutes. Oh, I'm sure. So the other brother bump busts in, the dope ass brother with the cool vest, and he goes like shit, they're spraying the room full of gas that kills people. Let me grab the inconceivably tiny mouth rebreather that I have. For some reason. He puts it in and goes like, Alright, I'm about to fight. And the the fucking robot people go like shit, he's supposed to be dead. How can he survive this? And then shit happens. They go to this weird, like, robot island in the middle of the ocean. They kidnap the older brother and go like, Hey, here's this weird pulsating mass of flesh and technology that's a brand new robot that instead of feeding on, being u- using oil, it uses human blood. Okay. 
and like they say, join us. All the while, a cyborg is fighting the other brother, and he's just getting green. The cyborg guy's going like, ha, I'm superior because I'm a cyborg. And the other guy's going like, fuck you, cyborg. Fuck you. <laughs> and then he gets punched, and he starts bleeding, and it seeps into the ground. And like five minutes later, the Pegasus appears because he had the blood of the brother. Oh my god. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. This simultaneously sounds like the best and worst thing of all time. It is so fucking good. Like, that is some Mad Bull level shit. Oh, man. Um, and then I watched one of the best name shows of all time. Brave Commander Dagwon. Dagwon! Dagwon! Um, which features a dude who's on fire, a guy named Turbo, uh, a green dude, a guy who control wind, and uh, and a fucking ninja. Ninja boy. So it's a Marvel comic. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. And like and like the green dude has like the most fuzzy ass collar. And it's and it's like one of those like collars that you would go up to a person and go like Hey man, can I like pet your collar? <laughs> like it is that good. Like, and then like the nerd character, he has those tiny glasses that are just like pinched onto your nose. Yeah, the fucking Balto glasses. <laughs> but he's still like '90s Japanese streetwear, so he still looks cool because they're all so like they all they look like a fucking boy band, and it's the best. Nice. Like, God, I love 90s ass anime, and these are some of the most 90s ass anime I have ever come across. Part of, part of, the, the, you know how I've been picking anime? I've been going backwards in time on Mal and just going, like, that looks stupid and ridiculous. Watch. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> the only way to watch anime. Mm hmm. Uh, there, there was one thing I wanted to watch. Oh, I also watched Ember Moon sh eat some shitty cereal. Yeah, that was a heck of a video. <laughs> I described it perfectly of watch Ember Moon be uncomfortable while a Canadian man screams about cereal. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's a fetish site for that somewhere. Ah. Uh. Got got gotta love gotta love Matt McMuscles. Yeah. Um. Yeah, else? Uh, I think I've exhausted what I've watched. All right. Well, I'm gonna start off with a fucking banger, everybody. I finally pulled the bandaid off and watched the 1984 Supergirl movie. How fast did you fall asleep? I didn't because I was doing stuff in my room while I was watching it. Like, that that was a decision I made, is, like, I've got some stuff to do tonight. It's been on my fucking to-do list forever. People tell me this movie is boring as shit, and it'll either piss me off or put me to sleep. I might as well have it on as background noise for my first time watching it. And, um... Even this background noise is pretty unwatchable. <laughs> it is... 
Um, like, the people who are, who are going to see this movie have probably already seen it. Like, the only reason I, the fucking Supergirl mega fan guy, hadn't seen it yet is because it's notoriously bad. And uh, it's pretty deserving of that reputation. Like, the actors are either terrible or just okay. A lot of people feel like they're playing different characters scene to scene. Um, I don't know why the fuck Jimmy Olsen is in this movie, except for we had to get the Superman connection in there, even though we explain Superman away as not being on the fucking planet at the start of it, but we're going to bring him up every other fucking scene when we're on Krypton. Oh, wait, it's not Krypton. It's it's Argo, even though it looks nothing like Argo. Uh, I'm having an aneurysm. Um... Hey, it could be worse. How? They could have shouted every line like, I am Supergirl. Oh, yeah, they could have done that. Um, the, uh... Always look on the bright side of life. Like, I... At least it wasn't screaming uh, Chinese at you. Yeah, I wish I knew more about Silver Age Supergirl, um, pre-crisis... So that I could talk about this film better, because it's very clearly adapting those original action comics stories. But uh, that's that's just not an era I've delved into super hard. So for a lot of it, I was just like, "Why is this character like this? Why are they doing this with this?" Oh yeah, that's right. This is all. This is before the Crisis on Infinite Earths happened, and a lot of these characters got completely changed. Like freaking uh, Lucy Lane is in this, and. She is very different from the character I know. She's kind of like a spunky, tomboy, Cindy Lauper type character. And the freaking Lucy Lane I know is post-crisis Superman New Krypton Lucy Lane, who is, like, radically devoted to the government and her father's viewpoint and said, yeah, I'll let the military experiment on me and give me superpowers so I can beat the shit out of superheroes if they turn evil. I'll become Superwoman and then die in the most horrific way possible. I think I have the issue where Supergirl dies. That's cool. I think I have it in floppy. I might... Might have to wrestle you for that at some point. It's it's nowhere near mint. It's nowhere near good enough quality to be worth anything. Hmm. Still, that's really that's really cool to hear. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that movie anymore because I'm just going to work myself into. You have given that movie more time than it's probably had in the last five years. Oh yeah, definitely. I've given it more time than it has had since Captain Logan made a superhero rewind on it, which was way longer than it needed to be, but that's the story with every superhero rewind video. Um, so, uh, episodes 13 and 14 of Doom Patrol came out. That show is still really fucking good. Um, loving the way they brought in Flex frickin' Metallo. Um, Flex Metallo, bro. The Man of Muscle Mystery. Um, good, good build to the, uh, final episode that's coming out the night after we record this. Um, really love all the, all the characterization we've been getting from Mr. Nobody and just how the flagrant disregard for how superhero shows are normally done through him is amazing. Like, I get the feeling like they were like, 
they saw the Deadpool movies and they went, nobody's done this on TV yet. Let's adapt Doom Patrol and do it with Mr. Nobody because fuck it. Yeah. Um, it's, I watched it's, the first episode and I just need to catch up. Oh, you really do. It's it's a great time. And it feels like a love letter to any and all Grant Morrison fans, which makes me feel very, again, makes me feel very bad that I've not read more old comics, specifically Grant Morrison stuff with this show. But uh, I'm working on it. I've got to, I'm going to hey. more used bookstores and picking up trades. And I, We've I read Ant-Man. Well, I mean, Animal Man. Yeah, I've read Animal Man. I mean, technically, he's also an Ant-Man. That's true. And the Lion Man. He he is he is the everyman. He is Peyote Man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I watched Hotel Transylvania Free Summer Vacation because oh. that was on Netflix and I went, I've seen the first two. I should probably go ahead and finish that while I can. <laughs> Have you seen the trailer for uh, Primal? I have not. Oh, it's Gindy Tartakovsky. That's good. That's good. That's the reason it's... I watched the first movie, because I, I originally saw the trailer for it, and I was like, oh, it's just a fucking Adam Sandler vehicle, whatever. And then after it came out, somebody told me, no, that was directed by Gindy Tartakovsky. And I was like, excuse me? I must watch this. And Hold I watched on. it, and I really liked the first one. The first one is an incredibly solid film. Second one, I think it would be an understatement to call it really disappointing for me. Um, I like the character design and some of the animation bits, but I don't care about anything else in that movie. Yeah, the uh, the f- that's the I just sent you the trailer for his new Adult Swim show. Cool. I will watch that when we're off recording. Um, freaking the third movie is about the same. I I would say they. Cleaned it. They tidied up the plot of this one a little more. It felt it felt a little more coherent, but it also felt incredibly straight to DVD. Like the pacing and transition between scenes in this is just horrendous. It, it feels like one long running YouTube animation. Mm. Um, I I was also kind of disappointed at the lack of new characters. Like there is um freaking. Van Helsing and his great granddaughter, and that's it. That's all the new characters you get. They don't. They don't really do too much else. Uh, there's a fun Gremlins homage, but uh, other than that, it's just kind of like these characters are on a boat. They're on a vacation from their normal habitat, even though the the plot, the the premise of the fucking movie is a ho- a hotel for monsters who want to go on vacation. So let's have them do vacation gags, and and they do some decent stuff with that, but. Uh, Nothing too impressive, and the main thrust of the the story, the Dracula zinging for a second time for uh, a human who's supposed to kill him, is okay. Handled in probably the most basic way you could have done it for a kid's film. And I I can't really get mad at it, but uh, also I I just feel like these the second two films have not held up compared to the first one at all, because I really like the first one. Um, I'd say the best part of this movie is the end credits, because you get to see all the characters from these films rendered in 2D Gendy Tardiofsky um, animation, and that's really fun. 
but uh, you don't need to sit for the rest of the movie to see that. I'd say just like either torrent it and fast forward to that, or if somebody's put it on YouTube, just go watch that end credit sequence because that's really fun. Um, but uh, yeah, not the best film. Um, I finished Common Rider Dragon Knight, and I really liked it. <laughs> I've heard good things. I've heard it's. I've heard that it's basically a good B-tier Common Rider season. Yeah, it is an incredibly underrated show, I would say. People, in in the circles I travel in, people have always regarded this show with such scorn and like, oh, it's such a such a trash show. I can't believe this, th- this show claimed to be the adult alternative for Toku fans when frickin' RPM was on. And can you believe that they, they didn't even get, like, support from a network or anything? They just went off and made a show and expected to be able to sell it and make a sequel series? And having seen the whole thing now, I'm like, well, this is as good as, like, early Disney-era Power Rangers. I don't see why it's And here's the thing, so early Disney say. Power Rangers are some of the fan favorites. Yeah. Like, I I get... It's definitely not as good as RPM. I wouldn't even say it's like Dino Thunder level, but it, it's it's in that like SPD Mystic Force Ninja Storm sweet spot. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Oh, um, Chris, guess what? Um, what? There's a fucking common rider with the same name as you, Gaston. No, Chris Ramirez, Common Rider Sting. Oh, he's he's actually the best, and he he is the best fucking character in the show. He has like a whole freaking arc after the introduction arc, and uh, he he dies in a really sad and tragic way. And then they put a big bandaid on it in the final episode by being like, "No, we got him back, and now he's living out his dreams." And don't don't worry, don't be sad, don't make your emo fucking mid two thousands YouTube MVs. I've become so yeah. Oh, that's yeah. another thing I've been listening to is the 80 re- 80s remix of that song. Nice. Have you heard that? Um, I think I have. I can't. I can't remember when exactly I heard it, but I, it's it's. I can. I can kind of make it out in my head. Um, but no, Chris is a good boy. He deserved a whole lot better, and uh, I'm seriously considering buying the Figma of him because it's only thirty dollars. Uh. On Amazon, at least, at the time of this recording. Do not yell at me in the comments if it's not when you're listening to this. Um, How dare you? It's only $25 now. <laughs> um, I'm posh. The, uh, I, uh, the, the latter part of the show, there's some real goofy kind of, we're trying to wrap this up in the best way we possibly can stuff, like, uh, there's a deus ex machina that lets them get all the good guy versions of the writers that had been evil from the advent void. Um, and that comes in the form of common writer alternative zero, who in this is called the advent master and is played by some martial arts guy who's apparently a big deal, but I'd never heard of um, before. And it's from the same planet as the big bad. And there's a moment where there, where he reveals that, and he shows his true face, and it's a big CGI lizard face. And I'm like, 
Why the fuck did you not just repaint Zabiax's monster form suit? <laughs> like, what? You never show Zabiax looking like that. Why? What? Because um, they have to do their own thing. Yeah. Um. I I I enjoyed a lot of the villain stuff. Um. There's a real fun thing in the last couple episodes where they bring in um the uh Ventaran version of Dragon Knight because our Dragon Knight got vented and they were and he's like the one who betrayed the writers originally and led to all this shit happening. And w- when we get our Dragon Knight back and they're both in the show <coughs> for a few for the few final episodes Man, they shoot around the fact that that's the same actor in such a YouTube way. It's like watching early Linkara, and I loved it. Um, so here's the question. Should I watch Ryuki or Dragonite first? I have not seen Ryuki. I know Ryuki through suits, the theme song, and the bullet points of the story. Ryuki sounds hella interesting to me. I do want to check it out at some point still. But I really enjoyed Dragon Knight. I would recommend watching it if you have the opportunity to. All right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like, at the very least, people, if you're listening to this, go look up the theme song for Dragon Knight on YouTube. Because it's basically, what if the original Power Rangers theme song was made in the mid-2000s for edgy 14-year-old boys... And it's amazing, and I love it. And I was listening to it on repeat for several days after I finished the show. <laughs> you, you fucking goober. Yeah. Like, literally, it's just some guy, like, up close to his mic going, Kamen Rider, Dragon Knight, together we can fight the fight, so let's ride! Over and over again for a minute, and it's so good. Ugh. Um, but I watched some more movies. Uh, I watched Synecdoche, New York, because I'd never seen it before, and the YouTube film snob scene really loves that movie. I can see why they really love that movie. I thought it was pretty fucking up its own ass, and I did not care for it. I think it's well made. I think it's got some good acting in it. The script is really dense, but it's not my kind of movie in the slightest, and there were there were moments where I was straight up rolling my eyes at this thing. Not enough Bugmen. Yep. Uh, but you know where there was some Bugmen? Uh, Green Lantern First Flight. Because uh, I noticed most of the DC direct-to-DVD movies are on DC Universe, so I've been watching for some of those. Starting with Green Lantern First Flight... It's pretty okay. Pretty decent Green Lantern origin story retelling. It does get a little bit hampered in the third act because Sinestro, the, the whole plot is Sinestro is a, sec- a secret dickhead and he makes the, the yellow ring. And you're like, oh, cool, it's going to end with a big fight between the Sinestro Corps and the Green Lantern Corps. And no, it's Sinestro and a big power battery that shoots lasers that beat all the other Green Lanterns except for Hal, because Hal's best boy. (laughs) Green Lantern stories always have the biggest asterisk of, by the way, humans are the best, never doubt a human. Yep. 
Uh, the only I, other characters I think that get away with not being human are like Kilowog. I like just about every human Green Lantern, but at the same time, I'm one of those casual Green Lantern fans who is constantly screaming, Why are there like 17 human Green Lanterns? That planet has the fucking Justice League. It's because humans are so good at being Green Lantern, so they have to they go like, shit, we just need another really powerful one. Hey, Hal, do you have any human friends? It's they like, they should have just kept it a legacy character. Like, I honestly wish in Emerald Dawn had stayed a thing, or Emerald Twilight, that's the name of the story, but instead of, like, Hal kills the entire corpse, it's, it's Hal goes crazy, gets himself killed, and now Kyle's the Earth Green Lantern, John's still around. John and Guy are still around, but they're not Green Lanterns anymore for some reason. And then, like, maybe ten years ago, or however long it's been since they were introduced, uh, you have Simon and Jessica take up the mantle. That's that's how Green Lantern history should have gone, in my opinion. I'm um, perfectly fine with all of them being Green Lanterns, mainly because they're all Green Lanterns, and it's fun, and it's goofy, and they're like, hey, we're all Green Lanterns, we're all buddies and friends, even though fuck you, Guy. Yeah, Guy, Guy Gardner, most lovable dickhead in fiction. Guy Gardner, Western comics version of Mineta from My Hero Academia. <laughs> I haven't read that. Um, Guy Gardner is American Grape Boy. Okay. Uh, I also watched Green Lantern Emerald Knights, the sequel slash sidequel slash it makes no sense how these films are in continuity with each other. That's basically just, there's, uh, Arisia is it's her first day on the job and shit's going down, so Hal's gonna tell her a bunch of cool stories about different Green Lanterns from throughout history, because the cool thing about Green Lantern is there's literally an infinite number of main characters that you can hop between. So we're going to take advantage of that in a movie where it's like five different short films. And that was pretty good. I liked that. Uh, I, I liked it a bit better than First Flight. I wouldn't say it's a great film, but it's certainly the best Green Lantern film that has been made. It's not the best Green Lantern and other media thing that has been made because that's Green Lantern, the animated series. But it's the best Green Lantern film that has been made. Um, I have seen those before, but let me put it to you this way. The last time I remember watching them was when I rented them from Blockbuster. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so that puts it into context. And then finally I watched uh, All-Star Superman because I had not... Uh, I'd not read the comics, but I'd been really interested in the film for forever because... It, Actually, no, I think I still have it. Um, it's either... Uh, it's one of the Superman slash Batman movies they made. It's either Public Enemies or Apocalypse, but one of them has a preview of, like... The DC direct-to-DVD movies have this weird thing where, like, ev uh, with each one of them, the bonus feature is the behind-the-scenes for the next one advertising it, so you'll buy the next one. So... One of the ones I actually own on DVD has the, the behind-the-scenes for All-Star Superman. So I've wanted to watch that movie for a real long time just because of the behind-the-scenes on it. So watched it because it was on DC Universe. It's pretty fucking good. It's not exactly my kind of Superman, but it's a very good Superman story. 
Um, I think it's a really good adaptation. I'll bet so. I, I want to read the miniseries at some point. I probably will definitely read it sooner rather than later right now, uh, since I have DC Universe and it's on there and blah, 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 hoo ha But, uh, yeah, it was okay. Integration! Um, I also watched, uh, the first 11 episodes of the original George Reeves Superman show, Adventures of Superman from 1952. Ooh. It is a 1952-ass television show. Like I um, would assume so. There is a, not a lot of actual superhero action in this. A lot of it is very plot of the week. There's, a, there's some kind of basic criminal scheme, and Lois or Jimmy finds out about it. They call Clark, and he's like, wow, this is fucking weird. We should do something about it. Hey, look over there. And then he runs off, and Superman comes in and punches the bad guys. Um, as one does, but uh, it's 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 fine enough. I don't I don't uh, dislike it. It's really good background noise. Um, it's not something I would be like, oh yeah, you gotta you gotta sit down and pay attention to this. It's it's meant to be like casually watched while you're six years old on the floor playing with your DC action figures. Um, here's uh, here's the thing I always wonder: what would it be like? You take all the ability to show this off to the past, you go back to the 40s, and you show them fucking something like Cowboy Bebop, Gravity Falls, and go like, this is what we're watching in the future, and just watch their minds get blown. Yeah. Uh, I also want to mention real quick, uh, the flying effect they have for Superman is really interesting because um, it's, it's nothing like it is in any other Superman show where he just kind of floats away with purpose in this. It's like there's a, there's a jump cut and he's halfway in the sky and zooming away. while like a wind blast sound effect is going on and shit's blowing all over the place. And, and like papers are getting in people's faces. He flies like a freaking common rider with wind powers. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, there's oh, a lot of stuff- imagine, a, imagine a Superman common rider crossover. Oh, hell yeah. But I I would want somebody... Like, the way you do that is you do the Batman 66 comics thing where you draw it to look like that show and you have Kamen Rider 1 meet George Reeves Superman. Ah, uh, mm, Know who I'd rather it be? Who? Christopher Reeves. Well, yeah, because that dude just is Superman, but I'm, I'm thinking, like, more like, at the time, what would have happened, but... Christopher yeah, Reeves but would like... be a real fucking dude. I mean, Kamen Rider Ichigo was 1969. No, he was 71. 71? Yeah, it was 71. 79 was Super Sentai. Hmm. I think. That's why I got confused. Okay. I don't know. But, uh, like, that, it would line up. Kamen Rider Ichigo. Yeah. Adam West Batman. Christopher Reeves. Somebody draw that fan art. <laughs> um, like, I can uh, just imagine Superman dropping down on Kamen Rider Ichigo, finding a bunch of monsters, and him just going, what, do you need help, buddy? And him in Japanese just going, nope, I got it. <laughs> then jump up. Jump up to the point where he is eye-to-eye with Superman, and he just does a little salute and just rider kick. 
You know what would be amazing? Double rider kick, but Superman is doing it because he can fly. <laughs> oh, man. It's like, wow, you're a cyborg and you still have to put that much effort in? I am. Wow. Fucking powers are amazing. Um, there's also some other just, like I was talking about with the flight thing, there's some fun stuff in here where it's like, Man, the mythology was still real crude at this point, because this was only, like, 20 years out from his creation. With, like, uh... they I don't think they had named Clark's parents in the comics yet. So in this, they're not called Marfa and Jonathan. Uh, I know Jonathan's name is Ewan. I can't remember what they called Ma Kent in this. It's, it's something similar, but not Marfa. So it throws you off. You're like, what, is there a copyright thing? And then you go and look it up, and it's like, no, they haven't been named in the comics yet. What the fuck? Um, Martha Also, also I will put uh, a little bit of a caveat for anybody interested in watching this. If you're a, if you're a super modern political person, uh, some stuff with Lois in this is going to rub you the wrong way just because it's a 50s TV show. Um Lois, what are you doing working? You should be in the kitchen. Yeah, it's not quite that bad, but there, there's a lot of, like, very, very casual sexism in this. Like, the You're going to quit th- when you get married, right, Lois? That kind of thing? No, more like the... the okay, here's what happened in the last episode I saw. Um, so, and here's why it's okay with me. There's an episode where... Um... Lois is going to do a story on a mining company, but it's like three hours out from Metropolis. So Clark drives her because naturally, why would a woman drive? Am I right? But also it's kind of hilarious because it just makes Clark Kent look like a giant schmuck. Like Clark, drive me out to the desert so I can do this story on a mining company. Why would I do that? Are you going to cut me in on the story? No, you're just going to drive me there. Can I, can I hang out? No, leave. Go do something else. Okay. <laughs> and then when they go in the office initially, um, the the like head mining guy is like, oh, I'm sure the lady would like to sit down. And he pulls a chair out for her, but not for Clark. So Clark's just stuck there standing like a schmuck for the rest of the scene. And he just has this... George Reeves just has this face like... Oh, God, I want to yell at this motherfucker right now, but I can't because I'm supposed to be nice. Yeah. It's, it's like, on the one hand, it's like, uh, that's kind of sexist, but on the other hand, it's like, yeah, it makes, it makes Clark Kent look like a schmuck, so I'm okay with it because it's funny. Uh, that's basically all I have to say about that. So, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us what you've been reading? I have been reading... The Immortal Hulk. Yes, tell us about it. Okay, you know how we've kind of just accepted the Hulk after all these years? Yeah. We, just, we, we know what the Hulk is. Uh, this book basically goes, Hey, remember when the Hulk was supposed to be a horror character in a horror book? Very clean. <laughs> But also, it doesn't ignore everything the Hulk has done in the meantime. It's like, oh yeah, no, all that other stuff that was fun and goofy and like, oh look, the Hulk's a professor now. Oh, She-Hulk, she's fun. 
Remember all that stuff? Yeah, no, it's still horrifying. <laughs> like, the best way to put it is he, they rewrite the rules of the Hulk just a tiny bit. It is now, during the day, it's Banner's time. At night is the Hulk's time. Ooh. And if Bruce Banner dies... When it becomes night, he immediately turns into the Hulk. So, that's where the immortal part of the title comes from. He can't die anymore because the Hulk just turns into the Hulk and that brings him back to life. Yep. Um, so, it's, it's really fucked. And it's fucking with Bruce Banner to the point where he's back alive and he hasn't contacted Betty. He hasn't contacted anybody because he's going like, I keep dying and keep coming back. And it's really fucking with my mind, man. Sounds very Swamp Thing-esque. Oh, it gets there. Um, but, like, there's moments where uh, fucking the, fun- uh, the, the people who are hunting after the Hulk, the government organization that does that, uh, capture the Hulk. And you want to know how they, they keep him contained? How? Oh. They realize the Hulk is immortal, so he can't die. So they chop them up into tiny bits and put them into fucking glass tubes all around the room so he can't do anything, but he's alive and feeling everything. Yeah, you sent me that image. That that was pretty fucked. Oh, man. And the best part is, when he escapes, the scientist that's been doing all the experiments basically starts pleading for his life, going like, no, 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 I was just following orders. And the Hulk goes like, I don't give a shit, and absorbs him as he's recombining all of his body parts. <laughs> because um, the Hulk we're following isn't the Hulk we normally follow. Because you know the whole mythology of the Hulk, right? Uh, the mobile personalities of, like, Joe Cool. Not Joe I know cool. things about the Hulk. I don't know the Hulk exactly. Okay, the thing with the Hulk is there are multiple personalities that are different versions of the Hulk. So you have Bruce Banner, you have Classic Hulk, you have Professor Hulk, which in the comics is its own distinct personality. You have Joe Fixit, who is a mobster. Uh, You have Grey Hulk, you have Smart Hulk, you have all these different kinds of Hulks. And then in the 90s, there was one Hulk that was hinted at, but never really used, called Devil Hulk. Hmm. He was locked away deep inside Bruce Banner's subconscious, and he was lizard-like and monstrous. And all he said was, Bruce, let me destroy the world. As good friends do. Here's the thing. That's the Hulk we're following. Oh, no! Because basically, when someone asks, okay, so who are you? And he goes like, oh, I'm the Devil Hulk. And his therapist goes like, aren't you the one who wants to destroy everything? And he's like, it's a misinterpretation of my intent. See, here's the thing. I'm the Hulk who solely wants to protect Bruce Banner. Someone hurts Bruce? They gotta deal with me. And here's the thing. The world? It's fucked for Bruce. So do you look at all the shit that's happening to just all of humanity, and it's also happening to my Bruce? 
Of course I want to destroy the world at the given the chance. Look at what it's doing to my Bruce. So the sole intent of his goal is to protect Bruce Banner. Fuck everything else. Fuck anybody else. You get in the way of him protecting Bruce Banner. You hurt Bruce Banner. You hurt something that Bruce Banner cares about. You're dead. Like, like put it this way. The, the way we were introduced to this version of the Hulk is Bruce Banner's going to a gas station. He's trying to pick up some supplies. And this robber comes in. He, sh- uh, he gets freaked out, shoots a little girl, shoots the cashier, and shoots Bruce Banner. This is during the day. So Bruce Banner's in the morgue, and he wakes up at the Hulk. He busts out and does the whole thing. So the guys at the at the, the, the Marvel equivalent of the Hell's Angels, because they have one of those, and they're going like, hey, man, you still owe us 500 bucks. Go out and get it. And the Hulk shows up, and he basically kills everybody, leaving the, the mugger uh, burglar dude for last. And the burglar guy's going like, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to. Uh, it, like, I, I'm in a bad situation. And the Hulk just basically goes like, okay. And he basically just puts him in a coma and, like, destroys his body to the point where he may never walk again. Oh, damn. Like, the Hulk doesn't give a shit. You hurt Bruce Banner. Fuck you. And the last issue I read, Joe Fix-It was coming out. And Joe Fix-It is a gray, smart Hulk who is much more morally compromised and is a mobster enforcer. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. See, Um, I I don't know a lot about Hulk comics. I mainly know Hulk through other media stuff. But I've always been interested in it, and that book just... From the covers, it didn't really look like my kind of thing. Um, but the way you describe it definitely sounds like something I need to check out. So that, that'll be on a reading list. For but, like, they the play movies. with all of the Hulk mythology because, like, uh, Betty Brant, uh, Betty Ross, I mean. Yeah. Um, okay, for a little bit, she was Red She-Hulk. Yeah, I know, okay. I know about that. I came into comics around the time that was happening, actually. See, but back in the 70s, she also had a completely different Hulk form. She was the Harpy. And guess what they're doing? They brought back the Harpy? She's the Red Harpy. They put together both of her Hulk forms into one alternate form. Oh, shit. And guess what happens to She-Hulk? Classic, like, lawyer She-Hulk. What? She full-on, big monobrow hulks out. Oh, damn. And she fights Devil Hulk. And he's basically going like, Oh, hey... You did the one thing you never wanted to do. You got angry. And she's going like, oh shit. Oh fuck. And he just smacks her across like two state lines. Damn. Like it is like she survives because she, she Hulk. But like, it is brutal in the emotional sense because he basically went like, you became the one thing you feared. You became the one thing you hated about me. And she's like, oh shit, oh fuck, I'm, I'm hulked out, I am full on hulked out, and she starts like, what, and it's good, it's so good. 
Hmm. Uh, Absorbing Man is in it. He has some cool bits. Hey, I wrote a thing with Absorbing Man in it this week. I'll be talking about that. That's a uh, nice symmetry. But um, um, Immortal Hulk is really, really, really fucking good. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be on my reading list for however long it takes me to get to it. Because um, comics are just a vast ocean of old shit that people tell me is amazing that I haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of manga, I've been reading Tunari no Kashiwagi-san. I just read that straight from the fucking page. It's basically it's a, it's a simple little rom-com with an otaku dude and a secret otaku girl, and she draw stuff on basically like fucking um what's the goddamn japanese deviant pixiv yeah like it just like copy non-copyright infringing pixiv mm. he draws shit on there and he's like a fan of hers and like they become friends and like it's just a it's, it's about a dude who knows jack shit about social interactions trying to grow as a person oh so it's it's uh, a biography about me um, he does it successfully, though. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. But it's cute art. It's a, it's a, it's a nice little sh- story. I'm bre- and it's, easy, it's an easy little manga to breeze through. That's good. Also, oh. I've caught up on My Hero Academia. And fuck, dude. It's so good. See, uh, now's the the moment in the podcast where you get to yell at me, because uh, I almost bought the first volume when I was in the used bookstore the other day, but it just got priced out. Ooh, that's fine. That's fine. It, it, here's the thing. You were thinking of buying it. You were yeah. thinking of trying it out, and that's good. Mm-hmm. Now it just wasn't the time for you to try it. Yeah, it's it's gonna happen. I, I still haven't decided whether I'm gonna go the anime or the manga route. It, it's just a matter of what happens to be in the right place at the right time. See, here's the thing. I'm sick. I'm more sick into the manga route because I started reading the manga at like chapter eight. <laughs> oh, and I've been pretty much keeping up with it mostly. Hmm, that's good. Um, but this new Stark is fucking great because instead of following all the hero characters. It's just a single arc called My Villain Academia, and we're following all the bad guys. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's yeah. like when uh, what's his face did the uh the Spider Man spinoff? Well, Doc Ock was Spider Man called the Superior Foes of Spider Man. That was just like all the jobber villains in a team book. Yeah. So the last thing I remember reading was Beyond Their A just won her fight. Oh, cool. Because there's a Yandere whose power involves shape-shifting, but she has to drink their blood. Excellent. Yep. Um, and that whole thing is great. Also, a fan-favorite side character is now going to be more of a main cast member, because the school has two departments of, like, normal people and heroes. Huh. Um, it's like, when I say normal people, it's, it's just, it's a regular high school. Uh, even though, so like, it's like if Charles Xavier's School for Gifted Mutants was bolted onto like a uh, fucking what's Buffy's high school? That it's, place. It's more like the hero school is all the X Men Danger Room stuff, and the rest of the school is just 
oh yeah, my mutant power is if I blink, I can change the channel. <laughs> it's the useless powers, but like they're they're still good students. So that they literally have the main cast and the and the fucking nobodies that only nerds are gonna remember separated. Yeah, but here's the thing: one of those nerds that only the nerds are gonna like uh, characters. Nerds are gonna like basically has just been training himself in order to become a main cast member. <laughs> He's been pulling a one punch man. I love it because his power is if you respond to him talking, he can control your mind. For a brief moment of time. Now, in terms of a pure heroic setting, you can't think of a... Like, it doesn't sound like a power a superhero would have. But here's the thing. There's already a professional hero with a similar power of when he looks at you, your power is disabled. Huh. So this dude, recognizing that, oh shit, this guy has a unique power... That can be useful in a support hero role like I am. He basically went like, all right, dude, you know this cool like scarf thing I can use to fight? I'm going to teach you how to do this so you can become a hero like I was. Nice. So it's very much like, oh, shit, this is this dude is like training and trying really hard. And like he has this cool mask that allows him to change his voice to other people. So, like, he can change it to, like, their, his, the, the person he's fighting his partner, and they get, like, tricked and go, like, oh, shit, I'm controlled now. Hmm. It's great. He's a good boy. Well, good for him. He uh, just wants to fight main character boy, because he wants to have a good, even fight. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because he, he good boy. Uh, have you been reading anything else? Uh, nope. Alright, well then I will start going for my stuff. Uh, first thing I read was, uh, The Good Neighbor, the biography of Mr. Fred Rogers. Really, really interesting, really solid read. Um, it's, uh, it, it's very much, um, a well-researched sort of full picture piece. It doesn't sort of take sides or anything, it just kind of gives you the facts of how he grew up, but also there's a there's a lot of um, personal stories from people he worked with throughout his career that were uh, really interesting to hear and just kind of jogged my memory back to the time when I was a kid watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and remembering that, like, he was kind of one of the greatest people that ever lived. I'm honestly, like... As much as people love, like, frickin' Bob Ross and, uh, what's-his-face, the Crocodile Hunter? Steve Irwin. Yes, Steve Irwin. And I, I love those guys, too. I personally think Fred Rogers is the king of wholesomeness. And, uh... They're, they're, they're kings of different kinds of wholesomeness. Yeah. Because Fred, Steve, Steve Irwin's the king of wholesome love of nature. Mm-hmm. Bob, like, Ross is, Bob Ross is the king of love of art and creation. And uh, Fred Rogers is the love of humanity and people. Yep. And, like, the thing is, Steve Irwin was memed and made fun of a lot when he was alive. We're getting a lot of Bob Ross memes now that he's dead and he's had this sort of um, resurgence of popularity. Where are all my goddamn Fred Rogers memes? I need that shit to happen. 
He's too nice to meme. And I've seen some memes when he's connected to the others as, like, the four wholesome men of the apocalypse. Yeah. Which is Steve Irwin, Bob Ross, uh, Mr. Rogers, and Steven, uh, the guy from Lazy Town. Oh, cool. The We Are Number One dude. Yeah, that guy. Um, rest his soul. Um... But yeah, it was a good read. Made me go out and buy a Mr. Rogers t-shirt. Kind of makes me want to rewatch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but that's a lot of television, so I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, but uh, yeah, highly good read. If if you ever watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as a kid, if you like the guy at all, I definitely say check it out. It's, uh, it's on Hoopla, so if you have a library card, you can listen to it for free as an audiobook and probably read it, too. I, I, I don't know about reading things. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say on that. So, um, I had a night where I, I was really crazy, and I said, hey, what if I tried to read through, what if I made it my mission for the next couple months to read through all of DC Comics in publication order? Because I can do that, because DC Universe has everything now. So, long, long did you last? Five issues of Action Comics. I figured. <laughs> um, and I'm, early Action Comics is not bad. It's just, like, any comics made before the 70s are kind of impossible for me to read. And uh, I will say... I'm super impressed with the scan quality because I have I've tried to read action comics on not so legal websites before and the early issues are always fucking garbage scans because not a lot of good quality copies of that comic remains. Uh, but because it's DC, because they have the vault of all their comics and they keep it all in really good condition, uh, great scan. So if you want to read early action comics, definitely get DC Universe. However... You gotta be able to deal with that early comic book style of barely showing the action and instead describing it and having the pictures there more so as a as a visual aid rather than an actual method of telling the story. Um, also because there's no way to sort things into actual publication order, they just have everything in issue order. Action Comics Zero and Annual Number Two came up in my feed while I was reading them, and I re- read those too. Action Comics Number Zero is an 80s zero-hour tie-in. Um, and Annual Number 2, I believe, came out around the same time, but I have no idea when exactly. So it was really weird bopping from early-ass comics to that stuff. But uh, it was all generally okay. It was decent Superman fare, but uh, I'm not a big pre-crisis Superman guy. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a big pre-70s comics guy in general, so... Uh, gave up but uh, i am gonna read i am and already have been reading some other stuff on dc universe um we'll, t- we'll talk about that a little later i'm gonna go ahead and move on though to um a trade i read that i picked up at a used bookstore called ant-man slash giant man growing pains which i thought might have been just a story of fucking hank pym and scott lang doing a thing but no, it's a frickin' Hank Pym sampler platter, essentially. It collects Tales to Astonish number 49, 
Avengers number 28 and 139, Marvel Double Feature number 379 through 382, and Avengers Academy number 7. It's essentially just, here's a snapshot of Hank Pym at every stage in his life. And, uh, real interesting read. Uh, I will say I was a little disappointed with it, because I kept expecting to for it to have the... Because I don't know what exactly what issue it is. I'm sure I could figure it out with a quick Google. I expected it to have the issue where Hank hits Janet, and it didn't. So, a bit disappointed in that. Um... My IGN review is zero out of ten. No woman beating. <laughs> oh, uh, seven out of seven out of ten. Too much water. <laughs> yeah. But uh, overall, it was okay. Like it, it, again, like early comics are a bit of a struggle for me, but I did like it. the The Marvel double feature arc it collects is just fucking insane because it's like. Literally everything Hank Pym has done in the past is coming back to bite him in the ass because he fucked around with Pym particles in a bad way, and so now everybody's growing giant and going growing crazy, and it's up to him to stop it. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, like the Avengers Academy issue a good bit. Um, people have always told me I should read that book, that it was like one of the best Marvel books at the time. I've just never gotten around to looking into it. Um, really dug that issue. So uh, I, I definitely have an actual want to read the rest of it now. Um, other than that, uh, uh, I read a novel called Above by Isla Morley. Um, this is a very fucked up book. It is essentially a um, teenage girl living in a small rural Kansas town, gets kidnapped by the librarian at her school, who is an obsessed doomsday prepper. He puts her in his underground bunker and essentially makes her his wife and tries to indoctrinate her so much for so long. Um, ends up having a kid with her, and then she kills him. And then, this is the halfway point of the book, but I feel it's important to talk about this, but it could be considered a spoiler, so if you're already planning to read this book, I guess fucking click five minutes into the future. Um, the big twist is she goes up, like, the entire first half of the book, It's being we're being told about all this bad shit she, uh, the guy tries to get her to believe, and she's like, no, it's, it's impossible, I'm gonna get out of here, I'm gonna get back to my family... I just have to tough it out through this and figure out a way to get out. Halfway through the book, she and the and the son she has with the guy kill him, and they escape, and we find out that there's actually an apocalypse that has happened, and the second half of the book is her trying to get back to her hometown to see if anybody she knew from before she was kidnapped survived the apocalypse. And wow. it's pretty damn fucked i'll be honest with you because uh it's not like a cool mad max or like any kind of apocalypse like that it's every nuclear power plant in the world melted down simultaneously and now there's a bunch of mutant freaks that want to eat her and her son's face hmm. I um mean, it probably also looks because like her son grew up in a shelter and didn't know any other people he's kind of mentally handicapped so he's a handful hmm um, but, uh, yeah, it is, it is a, it is a very, I wouldn't call it a tough read, but there's a lot of heavy stuff in it. Um, content warning, 
there is depiction of rape in this. So uh, if, if if you can't if you can't get down with get down if you can't handle that in a thing, regardless of context, do not read this. Um, there is a good bit of mental fuckery in this. If you can't handle that, do not read this. However, if this premise at all sounds interesting to you, I would say check it out. It is an incredibly well-written novel. Probably one of the most well-developed protagonists I've seen in a long time. Um, to the point where I was actually so in her head that I found myself wishing they would switch protagonists for a chapter, and it never did. It always stays on her. Which is a good testament to the book. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's really damn good. I, I would highly recommend it given you're okay with those content warnings. Yeah. It definitely feels like one of those, like, when was this book? I'm, it's pretty recent, like within the last five years. Hmm. Cause I hate to spot it this way, but it sounds like one of those like early er apocalypse books from the seventies. Hmm. Let me actually check real quick when this came out. Oh, it came out in 2014. Oh. Yeah. But, uh... It's it's pretty good. I liked it. Um, Also read a couple Supergirl trades, uh, mainly collecting the uh, Joe Kelly uh, post-crisis run, uh, Identity, and uh, Breaking the Chain, which Breaking the Chain collects a lot of the same issues as uh, Identity, but then goes a few uh, issues after that, so I just read that stuff. Um, it's, uh... Oh, boy, is it a mixed bag. Um, like, there's some... There's some interesting concepts in here. I definitely like a lot of the later stuff, but the, a good chunk of this is trying to create a new origin and purpose for Kara in the post-52 continuity, or the post-crisis continuity, and it, it portrays Jor-El as this really fucked up father, and, or, not Jor-El, what's, what's, Zor-El, that's her dad's name. And, uh, there's some weird religious zealot stuff that happened on Krypton before it happened, before he left. And then that all gets retconned at the end of the arc, because by the monitor coming in and and, ha- and saying, oh, I just had one of my agents test you because we wanted to make sure that you weren't an anomaly because you 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 died in the crisis, so we wanted to make sure this new version of you wasn't actually like a fake or a bad thing for this universe. But you you seem pretty on the up and up. You were able to survive all that fucked up shit we put in your head, and it's very obvious that they were actually trying to make that her new origin story. And there was a lot of backlash, especially because in the issue immediately before that, she fights. Um, her final test is fighting the agent of the monitor disguised as pre-crisis Supergirl who goes on a huge rant about how this Supergirl is not perfect. And that makes her shit because post-crisis, pre-crisis Supergirl was a perfect teenage girl and she was so nice and peppy and how dare this be this continuity have a supergirl with problems and it's clearly just joe kelly 
writing his fan mail mail into a character to be like, fine, motherfuckers, here. It's it's kind of hard to read, but also amazing. It's it's one of the the most insane retcons I've seen in comics in a while, but in a good way. Um, but uh, the 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 early stuff is kind of hard to sit through. Um, not because of the stuff they were doing with the Krypton backstory, because Kara's like, and here's here's why I thought the retcon was insane. I wasn't too into Kara's characterization in this run. She comes off as a much more flippant version of herself than I've ever seen. Not necessarily um, a bad person, but just like all, like all the worst qualities of a mid-2000s teenage stereotype are that Supergirl. And uh, I get why that fan backlash happened because of that. It feels very much like this writer saw Mean Girls, and then he said, how can I work that into this comic about a teenage superhero I'm writing? Like, there's literally an issue where she tries to go to high school, and it's just Mean Girls. Um, but overall, it's not, it's not terrible stuff. Like I said, the issues after you get past all of that, like, there's a couple filler issues. Um, there's an issue about Kara helping Superman with... Um, fulfilling uh children's wishes around christmas time and that was wonderful um there's an issue there's two issues tying into amazon's attack which are fucking great which i never would have expected because amazon's attack is one of the most infamously bad dc events um but uh yeah not not much else to say about that i'd say check out like that Amazon's attack tie-ins, and that's about <laughs> all you need to see from this. Um, because there's a great moment in that where where she's like, because the whole point of this arc has been like she's been avoiding Clark because I guess they had a falling out at the end of the last arc, and um, she's she's trying to make it on her own and, and be her own strong, independent woman, but she's really bad at it. She's kind of a flippant dickhead for most of the run, and then. She reunites with Clark after all the the origin monitor kerfuffle ends, and then we get the Christmas issue, and then we get the Amazon's attack tie-in, and th- that kind of ends with her going like, "Look, I know I ki- I've been fucking up a lot. I know I've been kind of a dickhead, but it- it's hard. I can't keep being a hero with you lording over me like you're my dad or my big brother. I can't keep." It's it, it just makes it so stressful to try and do anything because I have you to live up to. And he's like, oh shit, sorry. I never intended for it to be that way. I don't, I'm not your big brother. I'm not your father. I'm your cousin. And I only ever wanted to be your cousin. If I made you feel that way, I'm sorry. Also, if you want to work out your issues, great idea would be for you to join the Teen Titans. Really? You think they'd take me? Yeah. Opens door of the barn. The Titans are standing right there. Like, like. Uh, so you want to ride to the tower or what? It's it's a cool little scene. I like that a lot. Um. Also read uh from a Buick Eight, the Stephen King novel, which was pretty okay. Not the not not the best Stephen King book. Um, Is that cocaine era or post cocaine era? It might be transitional. I'm not sure. 
it's it's very dull. It's very dry. It's a much it's it's much different from what I know him for. It's it's more so like Lovecraftian horror, um, because the plot of the book is this Hodunk Town police squadron finds a car in the, in the middle of nowhere that has has no owner, so they tow it and impound it because it's it's sitting in the middle of a lot where it's not supposed to be, and later they find out that it's like a portal to another dimension that keeps spitting out these weird nothing beasts that they have to kill. Um, and it's all told in past tense because it's the officers telling the story of the history of this car to the son of one of the officers who recently died but was obsessed with the car. And, uh, it's it's kind of dull at times because it does get bogged down in like describing police procedure and all that, but there's some good moments in it. And uh, if you're looking for like a different flavor of Stephen King, I'd say it's worth checking out. Um, my my favorite Stephen King book though is still Cell. Uh, I don't think I've ever read one that reaches the heights of that book for me. I've never been the biggest Stephen King fan. So. Neither have I. Like people tell me, he, he's like one of the greatest writers on of all time. I'm like, I really like on writing and sell. I've tried reading his other books. Not a lot of them click with me. I really appreciate the fact that he basically wrote an entire book series just to make all of his other books in canon with it. Because <laughs> that's what the Dark Tower is. It's hey, by the way, you know the thing in it. It comes from here. Hey, this is why Cujo's like this. And it's like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Thank you. This is so dumb. I love it. Yeah, I do eventually want to read the Dark Tower series. It's just, it's one of those things that I've never gotten to and probably won't for a really long time. <sighs> um, and then the last thing I read uh, these last two weeks are... Um, the other thing I read on DC Universe this week, the first three issues of 52, the the big DC... I forget which crisis this was after. It was one of the, the mid-2000s ones where they were really milking the crisis name. Uh, and they did the one-year-later thing. And this was the weekly series that explained what happened in that year. Um, and it's pretty freaking good. Like, this is one of those books that people always tell me is amazing and I should check out. Uh, and I definitely see why. There's some really solid characterization stuff going on here. I like the sort of odd choice, odd for the time choices they made to focus on um, these characters. Uh, Booster Gold, probably the best characterization I've ever read for him. And I'm, and I'm, a, I'm a big Booster Gold guy. Like, whenever he shows up, I get super excited. So it's great to see some, some really strong characterization for him. See, here's the thing. My favorite Booster Gold is Sad Boy who goes back in time to hang out with his best friend. That's kind of Booster Gold in general, though. Yeah, because his best friend's dead, and he goes like, man, I miss him. Hey, buddy! (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah. Uh, 52 is real good. Um, It's mostly set up so far, but that's because it's the first three issues of a 52-issue series, so I'd expect it to be. Uh, but it's all very good setup. Um, I've never cared about the Elongated Man before, but I really dig his subplot. And uh, the uh, 
I would call it very obvious, but it's really only obvious because I know this is the story where that happens. The plot of uh, freaking uh, Rene Montoya becoming the question is pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Um, nice. But that's everything I read this month, and uh, I would move on to what we... or last two weeks, whatever. Uh, I would move on to what we bought in the last two weeks, but uh, after the last episode, realized that was kind of a dumb thing to put on there because Chris is a real boy, poor boy, and I'm a kind of poor boy. I bought so, a bag of Fritos. Hey! <laughs> so, so, yeah, it, it would not be the best segment to end on, so instead I replaced it with what we played with for talking about video games, uh, tabletop gaming, and uh, toys and stuff we got. So, Chris, have you been playing with anything interesting in the last uh, two I've just been chugging my way through Shin Megami Tensei 4. I've not ever really gotten in a good idea of what those games are. Uh, how is that? Okay. It's like Pokemon, but instead of throwing a ball to catch them, you get mugged. And sometimes they decide to join you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, no, like, seriously. Um, it's, it's the oldest of the monster-catching games. Uh, the SMT series is. Huh. Um, uh, it started at... If you want to be technical, it started in late 80s. Ooh. Because, surprise, surprise, it's based off a Japanese light novel. <laughs> So, basically, this dude wrote a couple light novels about people ma- uh, summoning demons with computers. Uh, and this young upstart company, uh, game company called Atlas uh, was able to make a couple RPGs for uh, Japanese PCs. And they were pretty successful. So, basically, they went to the dude and went like, hey, can we basically kind of buy the, buy the rights to this thing but change it up just a little bit? Like, they did whatever they needed to do legally. So, first couple games and the book series it's based off of are Megami Tensei. And then when they made their own version, it was Shin Megami Tensei, or New Megami Tensei. Hmm. Um, and they've been making those games since the Super Nintendo. Dang. Um, uh, and that's... On the Super Nintendo, there was one, two, and if. And if is basic because the main premise of Shimagami Tensei is hey you're a dude from normal Japan and you are basically transported to after the apocalypse where all these demons destroyed everything have fun <laughs> nice um Shimagami Tensei if is basically hey there's no apocalypse but demons are infesting your school go deal with it and that became the inspiration for persona Oh. Okay. So that's where Persona comes from. Um, And they've been making these games for forever, and the mainline series, the the True Blue SMT, SMT, and then a number, only has like four entries. The first two on the Super Nintendo, the third one on the PlayStation 2, and then the fourth one, which is the one I've been playing on the 3DS. Nice. But, like, it, it's not, like, one of those series that disappears for years at a time and then comes back. It's, like, because there were, like, a couple SMT games on the Sega Saturn. There were the Persona games. Um, and then you have, like, just one-off spinoffs, like 
Shimagami Tensei Strange Journey or Shimagami Tensei 4 Apocalypse. Uh, and then you have alternate gameplay styles. Like there was, they made like uh, a SNT Fire Emblem style game. Huh. But it all stems from you find a demon, you talk to a demon, they go like, hey, give me money. You give them money, and maybe they might join you. Um, and it's fun like right now in the game I'm having to deal with Yakuza who basically in the apocalypse took over a portion of the town and just went like alright if you just follow what we say we're gonna make sure you survive and people go like okay this is the apocalypse like you're strong okay we'll deal nice Um, so yeah, it's it's fun. It's dark. It's dank. Um, Jack Frost comes up and says, "He ho, motherfucker!" <laughs> As Jack Frost is known to do. Yeah. Um, it's fun. It's a it, it's it's the best way to put it is if you've seen Persona, turn the angst and edge up a million degrees, and then make it harder to tell whatever it is you are doing. Because Persona gives you a chart for everything you do, gameplay-wise. Like, oh cool, you ate a cheeseburger. This is how many points you've gotten for eating a cheeseburger. And, and, and SMT is very much like, hey, you, you don't know if you're on the good path or the, the chaos path or the law path. Um, Have fun with that. We're never going to tell you until the moment you're locked in. Hmm. Like, they obfuscate a lot of things to make it harder for you to figure out what you're doing. Interesting. Yeah. But I've been playing that... Uh, I briefly played Cookie Clicker again for five minutes. Hey! Um, yeah, that's about it. Pretty much. Alright. Uh, well, as for me, I uh, opened some cards about two weeks ago now. Um, I got some Transformers TCG Rise of the Combiners. Uh, been very, very casually collecting that stuff. Um, like, literally, I have bought eight booster packs in the starter set so far. Um, but in, in the booster packs I opened for Rise of the Combiners, uh, I got uh, Nova Star, Firefly, Frost, and Slug. Uh, so I only got one <coughs> Combiner card. Oh, uh, but getting to test that out... Oh, no, I got two Combiner cards, because I forgot Firefly is an aerial bot name. I just I looked at that and I went, oh, it's a generic Transformer name, whatever. It's probably just some random card. Uh, but... Uh, no, I got two combiner cards, got to test out that mechanic a little bit. It feels way more solid than it looks on film or in pictures. Like, you look at those cards, and that slit looks massive. It's like, how do you not tear that? It's really minuscule. It's not even an actual slit. It's more of a crease. So the whole bending thing works super well, and you don't feel like you're going to damage them at all. Like, I even did the Vangelist test of banging it against a desk for a full minute, and it's fine. So, the Vangelist test, try and destroy the things you've just spent money on. Exactly. Um, But yeah, they're pretty cool. Frost had an interesting thing where, and I posted about it in my Discord server, um, 
I thought he was miscolored for a minute. Like I got a misprint or something right when I opened the pack, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna make some money on eBay." And I went and looked the card up. That's the actual colors they printed him with. Hmm. That is not the colors I think of Frost at all. But uh, okay, whatever. It's just really bizarre to see that. I was like, this is like a knockoff Seeker toy. Classic Seeker mold that you find at uh, Dollar Tree in 2013. That's really weird to see on a trading card, but whatever. Um, And then uh, I got one other thing. Uh, I haven't taken it out of the packaging yet. I'm not even sure if I'm going to, but I was walking through uh, my local used bookstore, Second and Charles, the other day, which I believe I talked about on the last episode. Um, And they have, like, an entire aisle that is just dedicated to, like, Star Wars books, comics, and other paraphernalia. Um, And I was just kind of casually looking through that. And I found the Star Wars Revenge of the Sith talking R2-D2 figure mint in box. Ooh. Which is the R2 I had when I was a wee lad. And uh, I got rid of it a number of years ago. Can't remember why I think I was, like, tired of Star Wars or something back then. But I saw that and I was like... When am I ever going to see this toy in packaging again? I've got to get it. How much? It's only four bucks? Holy crap, I'm getting this. Um, Nice. Nice. And I asked at the counter, I was like, why do you guys have this? I don't, I I never would have thought of you as like a vintage toy store. And they're like, yeah, we just bought a case of these toys in bulk from a Kmart that went out of business a couple of years ago, and they've been sitting on the shelves ever since. So, there were more of those there. I am considering going back for the rest of the wave, because they're all like 4 to $10. Nice. I, I'm, I'm really considering it. The Try Me feature uh, doesn't actually work. I'm pressing the button right now. The batteries are dead from just years of having sat in the box. But, uh... It's probably easy to just unscrew it and put a couple new watch batteries in there and get it going again. And I've also been just going through a thing recently where I've kind of realized I don't really care about collector figures anymore, except for like a few specific characters I want to get really nice figures of. Um, and I more so when it comes to toys now as an adult, I, I'm I'm doing the twenty something to early thirties thing of. I just want to get all the ones I had when I was a kid and lost, and the ones I really wanted when I was a kid but could never afford. You're so, doing a few. Yeah, ki- kinda. I'm I'm seriously thinking about, like, uh... Getting into the grind and going bald? <laughs> not, not that, but uh, I'm very much thinking, like, I kind of want to collect the rest of the Revenge of the Sith 4-inch line... I kind of want to collect the the Justice League Unlimited toy line, uh, the Transformers Unicron Trilogy toys. There's a lot of those I'd love to have again and would just love to experience because I never had them as a kid. Um, G.I. Joe Valor vs. Venom. I had a bunch of those as a kid. 
don't have any anymore except for one I bought at a con a few months ago and still haven't opened. I kind of want to collect that one again. I'm just I'm kind of going through the I want all my I want the the full the full collection of the toy lines I liked when I was a kid. I'm going through that phase right now. And uh this was a really nice gateway into it and uh you know it was just it was nice to be able to reaffirm that this is something I can engage with because I'm at that age where the stuff I liked as a kid is teetering on the edge of this is garbage. Everybody has it. We nobody's gonna buy it. Put it put it on clearance for like four bucks. And holy crap, the people who had this when they were kids are adults now, and they have disposable income. Charge out the ass for it on eBay. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's it's all about to go that way, but hasn't quite yet. Like sometime in the next five years, that's gonna start happening. So. I need to start jumping on that stuff if I'm going to do that. So since basically I realized a few months ago the 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 most joy I've experienced from a purchase all year was getting Armada Tidal Wave at uh, that same convention I got that G.I. Joe at. Um, because that was a toy that I wanted for so long when I was a kid and just never was able to get because it was always a little bit out of my price range when I looked at it on eBay. Getting to have it as an adult was super cool, and it's one of my favorite figures I own now. Um, not just for the nostalgia factor, but because it's as fun of a toy as I thought it would be when I was a kid. Um, so I kind of want to—I kind of want to start shooting for more of that stuff as far as my toy collecting goes. Um, but uh, yeah, as for, as for the figure itself, again, I have not taken it out of the box, but I remember pretty much what it was like when it was a kid and I'm holding it in my hands right now. It's a really decent looking R2. It's not the most well detailed thing in the world, but it's a four inch fig scale figure from 2000 and whenever Revenge of the Sith came out. So don't expect the stars and the moons from the thing. It can, it can articulate its arms about as much as you would expect it to. No head articulation because of the, the electronic talking gimmick. Uh, but, uh, I didn't mind when I was a kid, because the main thing I loved about R2-D2 as a kid was the noises he made. So, uh, yeah, just glad to have that again. Nice. And, uh, That's good. That is everything I played with this week, which brings us to the end of what we've been doing this week. So, Chris, do you want to tell the people what you do and where they can find your stuff on the internets? I'm Bungo Rider. I just slapped my uh, my hand against my thigh and it stung my hand a little bit. <laughs> I I make video editorials, which are like video essays, but I don't claim to know anything. Um, uh, on my YouTube channel, it's Bungo Rider. You can always go there, subscribe. Hey, I just did a finger gun. Um, I'm on Twitter, Boingo underscore Writer. I'm on Instagram, Boingo underscore Writer. Um, do shit there. Uh, if you want, you can go on to my Discord server. Yeah, link to that's in the description. Uh, shoot the shit, shit the shoot. Have some uh, gigs and gags. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, I am Simeon the Vacuuminator Scott. I am a guy who makes a bunch of different projects all across YouTube, but mainly I make a thing called the Vacuuminator Saga, where I play a character called the Vacuuminator, a sort of embellished, idealized version of myself, 
who is a YouTube boy trying real hard to become successful and making videos about tokusatsu, comics, toys, and all the other kind of shit he likes. And there's a storyline woven through it and a couple other video projects I have uh, that just recently came back the night we're recording this. Uh, the third arc in the series, Fight About It on the Internet, has begun. You can watch that by uh, going to youtube.com slash thevacuuminator and subscribing. Uh, you can also see every video I've ever made by going to thatsimeonscott.com. You can follow me on the Twitters. It's at thatsimeonscott. And you can follow me on Instagram at thatsimeonscott, but with underscores. However, now it is time. It is time to find out what we will be discussing on the next episode of Analytical Fanboys. And that will be... The Summer of Punk. Ooh. What a time to be talking about that shit. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that next time on Analytical Fanboys. So until then, wait bye. a second. Next time, we'll, wait. Next time, should I do uh, an MMWP intro as well? Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. We may just like we should. We should record a duet of us doing our own version of the pipe bomb or something. Uh, okay, bye.